What is it about kids that want to do it by themselves without any help? Is anybody else's kids like that? That even my little grandkids, I do it, I do it, I do it. Well, let, why don't you let me help you? I can help you kind of get that situated. Situated, and that's what that's what launch pads are about, right? Helping get things back to perspective, helping out that we can, because we've already experienced it, we can help our kids, help our grandkids, help family members. A launch pad is the foundation for a successful liftoff and a stabilizing start for the mission. And so we have to get back to remembering the launch pad and the, and the function and the focus. So as I was beginning to study for this message, and when I was asked to to do the message, I thought, oh, okay, my creative brain immediately went crazy, you know, I started Googling stuff, and because that's who I am, and if, you know, I want to see it in Hollywood, I want to see it in playwright form, and if you knew what was happening up here, you would be very afraid, and you definitely wouldn't want me up here, but anyway, I'm up here, so, so, so you get what you get, and so back to the story, I was um, studying about launch pads, and I came across Launchpad 39A. Has anybody ever heard of Launchpad 39A? Oh, man, you're the first service. I didn't know what Launchpad 39A was until I began looking, and that is the official Launchpad that NASA uses in Florida, something that I didn't think I knew. I actually did know and was right there all along. You can kind of see how this all works together. But starting with Launchpad 39A, it was constructed in 1963 till about 1967. It took three or four years to build that foundation and to put the support structures in place so that they could launch the mission. And not just the initial first mission, but generations of missions that have affected our lives, like Saturn V that put the, the Skylabs into space, like the Apollo missions that put the first man on the moon. And, and even though the, the first launch was in 1967, still today, there are successful launches generations later. And that's what the launch pad, the family launch pad, should be like, isn't it? You know, Micah talked about last week, I think is a very foundational principle, the Shama, which is in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one God, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And teach these to your children as you walk along the way, as you sit, as you lie down. Or think about this. What about when you're driving in the car? Okay, well, that probably didn't work for me because if I went honking my horn because somebody was cutting me off, I was, had the wooden spoon doing this. So probably not teaching them to love the Lord their God driving. Okay, so what about on the soccer field? And I started thinking, oh, man, all the times I yelled at the ref or said, kill that kid. Did you see what he did? Kill that kid. Micah, tackle him. And so, yeah, I probably didn't show them to love the Lord their God on the ball field. Okay, what about sitting at Taco Bell? Okay, I can do that. I've got food in front of me, you know, so all is calm, all is bright, right? And so, all right, so there. Um, but you can think about practical ways that wherever you are, whatever circumstances, even if you're not doing so well, that you can teach the kids to love the Lord, your God. And I think the key word is your, because you don't want them to love mom and dad's God. You don't want them to love mama and papa's God. You don't want them to love faith promises God. You want them to love their God and teach them that principle that he's a personal relationship and that they need to do that. Love the Lord, your God. And so that's kind of the crux. That's kind of the, the theme of our family series. Families are the launch pad to ignite and transform the next generation to lift off.
That's what we're all about. That's what we want families to take home and grab a hold of. This is the second weekend in our family series called Launchpad. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Mother's Day at Faith Promise Church. Can you give our mothers a hand? Awesome. Whether you're a first-time mom, you got mother of six or seven kids, or you're, you're like me, you're a, a grandmother, um, we want to honor you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the, the, the influence and the impact that you have on the launch pad of your home and, and Faith Promise Church. And if your mom's maybe gone on to be with Jesus, you can still honor her and love her and thank her for the legacy and the mission that your life is still has and is going to achieve. You know, my name is Michelle Stevens. If you don't know, I'm, I'm the worship pastor at Faith Promise, but I'm also Pastor Chris's wife. Some people don't always put the two of us together, and so um, he has given me the wonderful privilege, the terrifying privilege, there's a lot of you people here, of bringing the Mother's Day message this weekend. And so um, one of the, the guys backstage said, they're all the way up in the, in the, um, the grandstands. I went, oh, yay. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So I begin to think as, as a mom and as a woman, what could I bring to this series, Launchpad? And so I begin to think about a mission that actually happened in the book of Ruth. So let's go there and let's kind of set this mission up. Let's start in verse 1 and 1 through 5. If you have your Bible, go ahead and read with me in, in, your, in your phone, or if not, it'll be on the screen. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judea. What do you think of when you think of Bethlehem? Hold that thought, okay. He left with his wife and his two sons, and they stayed in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife, not only am I creative, but I'm extremely ADD. And so, do you see that word, that name Elimelech? That's what pastor wanted to call Zach. I said, are you kidding me? He'll be 23 when he learns to spell his name, let alone, you know, he takes a test and puts it in the little blocks. There's not enough blocks. I said, no, we're not calling him Elimelech. <laughs> anyway, Elimelech and his uh, wife, Naomi, okay, the names of the two sons were Malon and Kylon, and they were Ephraim. You see why I'm terrified? I can't even read the names and the places from Bethlehem and Judea. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One's name was Orpah. I always want to say Oprah, but anyway. Her name was Orpah, and the second's name was Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both her sons died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Wow. You talk about a launch pad taken... The, a turn, what do you do when the mission you anticipated was turned upside down? You just have to always remind yourself, regardless of the circumstances, that the mission may have changed, but it has not failed. You have to go back to the launch pad. See, Naomi assumed that the mission had been scrubbed because most of the crew was gone. Launch pads don't just appear, but they indicate a mission is near. Let's say that again. Launch pads don't just appear, but they indicate that a mission is near. So, so Naomi is trying to figure all this out. Now what do I do? I'm going I'm to go back home. And she began to speak some things out of her circumstances. She spoke things like, 
go back home to your mother's home. She was saying this to her daughter-in-laws. Why do you want to go with me? My life is too bitter to share because the Lord has turned against me. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Those are the kind of things she speaks. And you know, when you think about mission control and you think about everything that happens to make a, a successful launch, they use very specific language because they have to give very specific commands, which are very important um, and crucial to a successful liftoff, a successful launch. And so you might hear things like this, launch sequence is initiated, T minus 30 and counting. Did I sound like the lady on the radio? I mean, did I, did I have that voice? Anyway, so you might hear things like that when the official language starts, the official sequence starts. That means in 30 hours, the mission is going to take off. And so sometimes things happen, circumstances happen, and they put what they call holds or pauses in the countdown. And that's exactly what happened what happened to Naomi. Let me read you uh, officially what a pause or a hold is in, in a countdown. Pauses in the countdown or holds are built into the countdown to allow the launch team to target a precise launch window and to provide a cushion of time for certain tasks and procedures without impacting the overall mission. See, I guess Naomi didn't realize that it, a hold is not mean it's over. She was trying, she sent off her, her, her daughter-in-laws, told them to go home. Orpah took her up on the offer, said, you know what, I've, I've, I've seen enough. I love you, Naomi, it's breaking my heart, but I'm going home to mom. I'm going home to my people. I'm going back to life as it was before. And it's, it's just too hard, I'm going back. But Ruth, it says she clung to Naomi. Why did Ruth cling to Naomi? And, and I, I begin to think about that. I have two beautiful daughter-in-laws, Joy and Rachel, and I, I don't want to replace their mother, but I pray that I speak life and I, I add value to their lives to the point that, that they see something in me. They see something in me that, that contributes and adds value to the mission that God has for their lives and for their launch pad. So... Ruth, I call this mission critical. Mission critical is a system put into place that is essential for survival. And let's read about this. It's a very familiar passage of scripture in Ruth, um, verses 16 and 17. And this is what Ruth said to Naomi. Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Where there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything separates you and me. See, Ruth loved Naomi. She had seen some things in Naomi. Um, we see some of the things, we're going to see some of the things that Naomi has spoke to and over Ruth. But when you remember the first part of the story, Ruth and her husband had been married for 10 years, which means Naomi had already been adding value and speaking life into her and living, living the Shama, the Lord, she loved the Lord her God in front of Naomi. And, and, and so Ruth was looking at this and she didn't want to leave. I'm reading out of this Bible, it's called the She Reads Truth Bible. And in the excerpt last week um, in our Bible reading plan, 
Uh, we were in the book of Ruth, and it said this. It wasn't Naomi's beauty, riches, or liveliness that drew Ruth to her. It was her wisdom, virtue, and grace. Fruit God had graciously grown and preserved in her despite her enormous loss. That's what, that's what Naomi saw. I mean, that's what Ruth saw in Naomi. And so she saw how Naomi responded, not always perfectly. Not always perfectly. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. You know, I've, I've said worse, you know. And so Ruth, but Ruth saw so many things that she wanted to stay with Naomi. She saw something in Naomi that she wanted. So here's some of the things that we know of that Naomi spoke over Ruth. May the Lord show you kindness. May the Lord grant you rest in the house of a new husband. May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness. It is good for you to work with his servant, so nothing will happen to you, my daughter. My daughter, shouldn't I find a rest for you that you will be taken care of? It's these kind of words that her mother-in-law spoke life over to her. And she said, you know what? She's got something. I'm staying, I'm staying with Naomi. So Naomi and Ruth moved back because Naomi said, I'm going back home. I'm going back to the land of Judah. And, and Ruth said, I'm going with you. So they go back. And when they arrived, all the people were excited. They said, could this be Naomi? And Naomi said, nope, I'm Mara. Life hadn't been great. And so they were looking at this change in Naomi. And not only did Naomi show up as, as Mara, she brought a Moabite woman with her, which was, was an enemy and a disgrace to Israel. And so here they come on the scene, and Ruth still committed to Naomi. And Ruth said, I'm going to go work, and I'm going to provide for us. So she went out and began to pick up barley. And it said, Scripture, it says, she just so happened, just so happened to find herself working in the field of a close relative, and his name was Boaz. And so we're going to pick up the next part of the story, which is in Ruth, second chapter, 5 through 12. It's kind of lengthy, but it really kind of sets up what God's doing in this mission. So starting in verse 5, Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz called Ruth, said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go drink from the jars they filled. And Ruth is taken back. She, she must think, why have you noticed me? She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me? Because I'm a foreigner. I'm an outsider. And Boaz answered, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land, how you came to your people you didn't previously know, may the Lord reward you for what you've done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So you see, people are constantly speaking life into Ruth, speaking words from favor of the Lord into Ruth. 
And so when she said to Naomi, my God will be your God, she had no idea what God was orchestrating and putting into place. Another excerpt out of, out of this Bible says this, Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi was not on her own strength, but in the midst of Naomi's doubt and sorrow, God revealed himself as faithful and compassionate. And boy, did she see that. Did she see that in what God was putting together between Naomi and between Boaz. God was showing his favor and his faithfulness and his compassion. Even through great loss, God was working things out. So when Ruth gets home, she wants to talk to her mom about everything that's happened. And so look in verse 19. Naomi said, where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. She had no idea what was going on. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And I can imagine Naomi just kind of pausing and looking, and the Holy Spirit kind of restoking the fires in her heart when she heard the name Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. I love that word, family redeemer. And it goes on into the next chapter, verse one. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi said to her, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Okay, so, so we're back on mission. When Naomi heard the word Boaz, and she, heard, she said, he's one of our family redeemers. And she began to tell Ruth what a family redeemer was. And what a family redeemer was is in that time when a, a man had died and had no sons to carry out the name, a redeemer could step into place so that they wouldn't be forgotten. So that their inheritance and their legacy would not be forgotten. And so... That's what a family redeemer did, and that's who Boaz was the potential to be for them. So Naomi began to tell Ruth how to talk to him, how to approach him, what to say. And, and parents, isn't that what, what we do when we recognize what God's doing in our family's lives? We begin to tell him about the redeemer, where he is, how to approach him, what to say. So, ladies, picture with me. This is what Naomi told Ruth to do. I want you to wait till midnight. When he's asleep, I want you to go in the field, uncover his feet, lay on his feet, cover yourself back up, and wait for him to notice you. I don't know about you. It's a little awkward to me. <laughs> I, would, I love my mother-in-law. Na Ruth loved Naomi, but, you know, <laughs> that's really putting yourself out there. That's a, you know... But what did Ruth do? In verse 5, it said, I'll do whatever you say to do. That, that's loving and trusting your mother-in-law, okay? Loving and trusting your mother, that's an initial act of faith. And you know what? She did do it. And sure enough, Boaz woke up and said, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth. He said, and he gave her more, more grain to take home. He said, go home. He said, I'm going to take care of this. And so what happened was he, he didn't, he, and Naomi even said, he's not going to rest, he takes care of this. And the next day he went into town and he, he proceeded to put into place the things that it would take to purchase their redemption. 
And so what he did is he gathered witnesses and he went to the closest person that could have redeemed them but chose not to. And, and he began to put all those things into place. And, and Boaz purchased the redemption of Naomi and Ruth and, and the legacy that they would not be forgotten, that their family line would have not be forgotten. And so when he purchased the redemption, he purchased Ruth as his wife. And that may sound kind of different to us in our day and time, but Ruth became his wife. And I want you to look what happened. In chapter 4, verse 13, it said, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Okay, so I would say at this point, Ruth's, you know, Ruth's world has been turned up upside down. I don't know what kind of time frame all this happened with, but she was married young. Her husband died. She, she travels to a place she doesn't know, people she doesn't know. She finds a job. She's working, and she sees this somebody give her kindness she doesn't know. Lo and behold, she gets married to him. And has a baby. And, and the people in the land are celebrating. And you know who they're celebrating? They're celebrating Naomi. Saying, blessed is the Lord who did not forget you and provided a family redeemer. Blessed be Naomi because God gave her a son through Ruth. And they called him Obed. And so all this celebration is happening. She loves her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, who is really more like her mom. And now she has new family, right? You get married, you have a new family. You know who her new mother-in-law was? Rahab. Yes, the Rahab, who was also a foreigner, an outsider, but brought into the inheritance of Israel because of an act of faith and obedience, just like Ruth. No wonder Boaz showed her favor and showed her kindness. His mother probably taught him from his little what it was like to be an outsider what it was like to be different. But the same God loved her and brought her and provided her an opportunity to be a part of Israel. Taught her to love, just like the message last week, to love people and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So can blended families work? Some say no. Let's see what scripture has to say about blended families. In verses 21-22, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, King David. I would say this blended family not only worked, but brought great glory to the Lord. I would say this mission has lifted off and is in progress to do great things, wouldn't you say? See, Naomi wasn't the mission. Ruth was the mission. And the mission was to be part of the lineage of Jesus. If you look at Matthew um, 1, it says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it goes on to say, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered King David. And it keeps going on down. And it keeps and put Ruth right up there. And you notice there's only three women that, that were even listed in that long line of genealogy, and they were all outsiders. Every woman had circumstances that weren't great, but God brought them in from the outside to be part of the line of who Jesus was. What had a family redeemer led to the redeemer and that. And so if Naomi wasn't the mission, 
What was she? Naomi was Launchpad 39A. The foundation, the support structures that took a while to put in place, circumstances that happened, provided years and generations of successful, life-impacting missions. And so this is a story, a real story out of God's word about real people that had real problems finding real love. And so I don't know where you identify this weekend, which person you may identify with. Maybe it's Naomi. Maybe circumstances in your life have been far more than less than great, if that makes sense at all. (laughs) You know, hopelessness, grief, Maybe you're a single parent trying to do right, trying to do the right thing despite circumstances. Maybe you're trying to find your way back home because you know if you could just get home, things might feel normal. If that's you today, we want to pray with you. So if you just squeeze that hand of the person next to you, put your arm around them, especially if you know that they're Naomi, let's pray over them. Jesus, there are people in this room that identify with Naomi. Their circumstances are heart-wrenching. Their circumstances can seem to be hopeless, and the mission can seem to be a failure. God, remind them of who you are, that you are the Redeemer, and their mission has a purpose and a plan. And God, stir in the, the embers and the heart in their heart the fire that once was there, God, and give them hope. God, give them strength. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe today you identify with Ruth. And by that I mean you were, you were on the outside looking in, a foreigner as it were, and you're saying, you know, I see I see the God of my family. I see the God of the person that invited me to church today or the God of my small group. I want to be able to say, your God is my God. I want to experience, love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's a disconnect, and it's just simply a relationship with the family redeemer the Redeemer that put into place to purchase your redemption. He put all those things into place because He loves you and He has a mission for your life. And so, remember there were two daughter-in-laws. Orpah went back home. She said, I've had enough. This isn't for me. She went back home to her family, to her old lifestyle, to her, her old gods. And she never got to meet the family redeemer. Look what happened to Ruth's life when she she put herself in a position of faith and obedience. And I pray that that's you today. And if it's you, I want you to pray this prayer with us. And I say us because at Faith Promise, we don't do anything alone. We, We take missions together. We launch each other into the atmosphere that God has for us to be successful in. So let's just pray this prayer out loud. Jesus, thank you for being my redeemer. Thank you for putting things into place to purchase my redemption that I would not be forgotten by dying on the cross 
that my sins would be forgiven. I put myself in a place of faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know what happens when a rocket lifts off at NASA? The whole place, mission control, what are they doing? They're clapping. Come on, you can do better than that. People just had their lives changed. Come on. We just had liftoff. All of heaven is rejoicing. All of heaven is rejoicing. Because there are people in this room and at every campus that, like Ruth, can now say, your God is my God. And so the next part of the mission is another act of faith and obedience. And that is to be baptized. And this weekend, we just so happen to have an opportunity for what we call open baptisms. And we've taken all the excuses away. We have towels, shorts, T-shirts, blow dryers, all that. And you're saying, Michelle, I'm dressed up. We're going out to eat as a family. Well, has your family never seen you with wet hair? Yes, they have. Okay. What about people in public? What better way to, to launch a successful mission to, to have the opportunity to tell people why you have wet hair? You can tell them about the mission that God has you on. Don't be like Orpah. She gave up. She went back. It was, she, she just wasn't into taking that next step. Let me encourage you. Take that next step today. Take that next step for baptism. Two weeks ago, Pastor and the worship team went to one of our God Behind Bar campuses in Morgan County. And when he gave the, the message like we did, 21 men got up to be baptized. Isn't that awesome? So right now at every campus, there's people back there waiting, and they want to talk to you and tell you what your next step is. Do not, do not let anything distract you from the mission. All right, you're going to be mission control. Are you ready? I want you to stand to your feet. You're mission control, and we're going to count down for people to get up and go back. Ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Come on, church. FP, we have liftoff. Come on. Head on back. Head on back. Come on. Take that next step in the mission God has you. Head on back. That's awesome. That's awesome. Head on back. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm just trying to keep it engaging. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, you know, so people stay engaged. Honestly, it's easier for people to get out. And so... Um, if you're, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you came, and we just want to connect with you. We, there's a communication card in the seat back pocket in front of you. We just take that out, fill it out, so that we know how to pray for you, how we can, how we can better serve you and better connect with you. And maybe you're saying, you know what, I want to be baptized, but I want my family here or, you know, um, whatever it might be. It's okay. No guilt, condemnation here. It's okay. Just write that down and we'll help coordinate a time that's good for you and your family. And just put that in the buckets. We're getting ready to have an, a time of worship through generosity. And so we don't want anything from you guests. Just put that card in the bucket. And so as our campus pastors come out, um, let's just give them a hand. <laughs>